0: Volume three, chapter four of Mr. Hogarth's will. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mr. Hogarth's will by Catherine Helen Spence. Volume three, chapter four. Miss Phillips meets with a congenial spirit in Victoria. As Mr. Dempster had reported, there had been a division in the family of the Phillipses shortly after they landed. Mrs. Phillips wished to remain in Melbourne for a month or two, as she did not feel able to stand the long journey at this particular time. Neither her husband nor herself had much confidence in Dr. Grant's skill, and she could have better attendance in town. Mr. Phillips, having ascertained that Mrs. Peck was in Adelaide, and having, through Mr. Talbot, sent a request that she should remain there, which her own interest was likely to make her attend to, had less object to her staying in Melbourne than he had ever had before so he took a suite of furnished apartments for her and those of the family who remained in town. Jane Melville went at once to wear Wilta with the children, who all longed to be there, and who disliked Melbourne more than London. Miss Phillips had her choice to remain in town or to go up to the station, and she decided on the former alternative, for she began to fear the station would be very dull and would contrast unfavorably with the voyage, which had been lively and pleasant. There were some of her fellow passengers whom she was unwilling to lose sight of, and Mr. Brandon was not at Barragong, but in Adelaide, so on the whole she thought it would be preferable to stay. She gave, as her ostensible reason for the choice, her wish to be with Mrs. Phillips during her brother's necessary absence. Mr. Phillips stayed with his wife till she presented him with a second son, and then, as she was doing very well, he left her in the care of his sister and Elsie. He had been rather annoyed to find that Brandon had been amusing himself by taking a journey to Adelaide, so soon after coming out to the colony again. Dr. Grant came down to meet Phillips, and represented that a great deal had gone amiss at Wiriwilta since he, Dr. Grant, had been supplanted in the charge of the stations, so that he thought it indispensable to go up with the least possible delay to look to all the flocks and the outstations. "'It was the wildest thing in Brandon to start off in that way,' said Dr. Grant, with a poor lad of a nephew who did not know a wattle from a gum-tree when he came, and scarcely a sheep from a cow. I never would have done such a thing. "'But he has gone to buy some new sheep, I hear,' said Phillips. "'Have they been delivered at Wiriwilta? "'No, not yet,' said Grant. "'And I think that was the most insane part of the business. I am sure our Victorian flockmasters have always kept ahead of the Adelaide lot, and to go to the Adelaide side for sheep would be the last speculation I should care to enter into for myself,' not to speak of implicating you in such a thing. The long overland journey will pull them down so much that you are likely to lose a third of them on the road, and what you do save will be in wretched order. Brandon was fairly ruined by going home to England.' "'Ruined?' said Harriet Phillips. He said he was ruined, or something like it, before he left. Are his affairs really in such a bad state?' "'Oh, it's not exactly his affairs, but he got unsettled and would not work as he used to.' "'He overturned most of my arrangements at Wiriwilta, and I am sure Mr. Phillips will not find himself any the better for his alterations. He is so foolishly confiding. Now I like to look sharply after my people, and then I see what work I get out of them.' "'I think you are quite right, Dr. Grant. I have remarked the want of that prudence in both Mr. Brandon and my brother. They think it proceeds from benevolence, but I attribute it to more indolence and the dislike to give themselves any trouble they can avoid,' said Harriet." Dr. Grant was piqued at being deprived of Mr. Phillips's agency, for though he had protested against taking it, he had found it very lucrative. He was also piqued at Mrs. Phillips staying in town for her confinement, though he always declared that he detested practising, and only did it as an accommodation to his neighbours. But both things had added alike to his emolument and to his importance, and he was extremely jealous of any slight being cast either on his business knowledge or on his professional skill. On this occasion he offered to stay in Melbourne for a week or so after Phillips left, merely as a friend, to see how Mrs. Phillips was going on, and to take up a full and satisfactory account to the station. Though he was not her medical attendant, he was much in the house, and far more than he had ever been before. When the week was over he appeared to be in no hurry to go away, but wrote to Phillips instead, and hung about the house, went errands for her or her sister-in-law, took Harriet out for walks and drives, brought all his Melbourne acquaintances to call on her, and to inquire for Mrs. Phillips and the baby, and was himself engaged for several hours of every day in conversation with Harriet. He had come to Melbourne determined to fall in love with Miss Phillips, whose likeness he had seen and admired at Wiriwilta years ago, and whose face and figure, when seen in reality, quite came up to his expectations, while her air and manners were exactly suited to his taste. He knew that she had a fortune— not large, certainly, but tempting to a man who was not exactly poor, but always more or less embarrassed. Her perfect self-possession, her good education, her musical talents, her excellent connections, her stylish way of dressing, her very egotism, were all charming to a man who wanted a wife who would do him credit. His Scotch family was a good one. He was connected with many noble houses. He could tell long, traditional stories of the feats of the Grants and the Gillespies his father's and mother's ancestors, and it was wonderful how much the history of Scotland, and, indeed, that of the world generally, seemed to hang in the exploits of those ancient clans. Though Harriet was not a Scotchwoman—it was the only drawback to their perfect suitability—she appreciated these anecdotes wonderfully well. Dr. Grant laid himself out to please her in a much more marked manner than Brandon had ever done, and his success was much greater. He had a subdued feeling that his neighbor at Barragong was his rival, as he had seen so much of Harriet in England, so he lost no opportunity of mentioning anything that would tell against him. Then he was of the same profession as her father and brother Vivian, and liked to hear her talk of them. Indeed, provided he got time and opportunity to speak about his own relations connections and friends, to give anecdotes of his schoolboy and college days, more interesting to his mother than to any one else heretofore, To describe how he had felt the colonial hardships at first, and how he had gradually made himself very comfortable at Benmore, which was the name he had given to his station, so much more suitable for a Scottish squatter than such names as Brandon and Phillips had retained for theirs, he would allow Harriet to give her school and society reminiscences too, to describe her home in Derbyshire, the furniture, the ornaments, the lawn, and the greenhouse, the country Stanleys, and the country Balls. As they were generally tete-a-tete, four or five hours a day, they had ample time for descanting on all these interesting topics. Any visitors who might drop in, or any visit that they might pay together, only gave fresh food for further comparison of their own personal tastes and predilections. Miss Phillips's avowed contemptuous compassion for everything colonial did not at all offend Dr. Grant. He had never been thoroughly acclimatized himself and he had vowed never to marry any of the second-rate colonial girls who as he thought had no manner and no style it was surprising how well these two new friends agreed about everything and everybody dr grant from his education and his habits considered himself a reading man and a very well-informed one miss phillips too had thought brandon greatly her inferior in literary acquirements as in all other things but it was singular to observe how little these two people Who were so congenial to each other, and who enjoyed each other's company so much, and had so much of it, talked about the many books they must have read. As for religion, politics, or any other of the great concerns of life, they never seemed to rise even on the surface of conversation, and when a book happened to be mentioned, it was dismissed with a casual remark such as, I read it, or I did not read it, or I liked it, or I thought it stupid, and then they turned to things which more nearly interested them, and these were things in which they themselves, or some one related to them, had made some figure. If any of Miss Phillips's, or any of Dr. Grant's relations, had published a book, that would have been mentioned and extolled, but they had not. Vivian's scientific attainments, which Harriet had thought rather a bore at home, were, however, something to boast of here, and Dr. Grant had an uncle who made some improvements in agriculture in the north of Scotland, of whom he was never tired of talking. Miss Phillips had remained in Melbourne to be with her sister-in-law, but she was very little beside her. Besides Dr. Grant, there were fellow-passengers who visited at the house, and whose visits Miss Phillips was bound to return, and there were also public places to go with them, for she wished to see all that was to be seen in Melbourne while she was there, and though she generally criticised all the Melbourne concerts and theatres and balls, and private parties, very severely— she accepted every invitation, and joined every party that was made up for the theatre. Elsie and the nurse had the care of Mrs. Phillips and the baby, though Elsie would have preferred being at Wiriwilta with Jane and the elder children, for she missed their cheerful society, but she could not be spared. Miss Phillips was in exceedingly good humour at this time, and did not exact so much from Elsie as she had expected, but Mrs. Phillips missed her husband, and was rather petulant and capricious. She had been considerably kinder to Elsie since the death of her little girl. This first sorrow had done her good, but now, in her husband's absence, a good deal of the old spirit returned, particularly as she was much offended at the little attention which Harriet paid to her. Elsie was the real housekeeper, though Miss Phillips had the credit of it, and she was delighted to find how well she could manage. Her old experiences at Cross Hall had not been altogether thrown away. She had grown more thoughtful, and she felt she must depend on herself, for there was no Jane now to fall back upon. Elsie was apprehensive that the coolness between the sisters-in-law would lead to an open rupture, for Mrs. Phillips had not been accustomed to be considered as nobody in her own house. But there appeared hope for peace in the fact that Dr. Grant must leave Melbourne, and then those long conversations must have an end, and at least three-fourths of the rides and gaieties which served as an excuse for her neglect. During the short absences from day to day which necessarily took place, and during the few angel's visits, short and far between, which were paid to her sister-in-law's sick-room, Dr. Grant's sayings and doings, his compliments to herself, and his criticisms of other people, were the staple of Harriet's conversation to the invalid. If the absence of the one and the visits to the other were prolonged, it was just possible that Mrs. Phillips might be more fatigued, but she could not be so much ignored as she was at present. End of Volume 3 Chapter 4